led by J.J. Dillon, introducing first at 237 pounds from San Antonio, Texas, Tully Blanchard. Dog, I hear you calling. I think it's time for the show. The sleep hold has got me confused, but maybe here we go. Mr. Hills and the dog from Maine, Event Status Radio. They're recording again. <laughs> Bagels and biceps all over my screen. What are we supposed to do? If you had to think of six of the greatest wrestlers Jim Crockett Promotions had to offer in 1988, throw them together in a six-man match, top it off with Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross calling the action, I can't think of a better match to cover on this edition of Main Event Status Radio, or even better yet, Main Event Wrestling Podcast, because my co-host for this evening, hailing from Chicago, Illinois... The one, the only, Black Hat. Oh, what's going on, Dirty Dog RC? Oh, like I was saying off air, um, can't think of a better way to spend a Monday night than to talk with you about professional wrestling. Sweet, yeah, I'm thrilled to be here. So six of the greatest NWA wrestlers. So we're talking about like uh, Randy and Bill Mulkey and Tim Horner versus... uh, Rocky King and uh, I don't know who else. I was trying to think. I was trying to be funny. I was trying to think of six NWA, NWA jobbers, but I only got four on the top of my head. How about the Diamond Stud and Oz? Well, uh, you, no, let's see. That's too. That's too late. That's that's like that's like early '90s. So I'm, let's see. We got the Italian Stallion. We can put in that six man tag match, and uh, I don't know who else. So we can, we we can, we'll just put in uh, um, uh, Pez Watley. For the sixth man there. <laughs> so, yeah, we were totally just you know, through underneath the bus that match we're covering. Yeah, um, no, 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 no. No, you're right, though. The, so the match that that we're gonna that I, I picked out, he, you originally wanted me to do uh, Eddie Guerrero versus... Um, John Bradshaw Layfield. And I, unfortunately, just didn't work out. And I came back to you and I said, hey, let's talk about something that's in my wheelhouse that I could talk about all night long. And that is an Ooh. NWA... 
Jim Crockett Promotions, circa 1987 to 1989. That's my favorite thing to watch, to talk about, to reminisce about. And, uh, you know, like, so on my podcast, Old School Wrestling Podcast, we've talked about, you know, a ton of great NWA Jim Crockett stuff. So I wanted to pick out something a little more obscure, you know, that still had some of the big names, but just uh, uh, just sort of a, a match that maybe a lot of people haven't thought about. Um, and it's a six-man match that includes uh, – that's the Horsemen versus uh, three the three top, like, baby faces at the time. I've noticed that for this match, when you send me – well, you originally asked me, you know, you know, my thoughts about, you know, the NWA from, yeah, 87 to 89. Um, I'm like, I like to want, you know, review something with Arn Anderson because with the WWE Network, I've been falling in love more and more with Arn Anderson. Sure. Yeah. And then you sent me this match, and last night when I, you know, watched this match, took my notes down. Uh, yeah. I had a weird thought. What's that? This match, Black Hat, <laughs> okay. features the Horsemen taking on, I guess, the failed members of the Horsemen. Well, so that, let's. I don't know if we've just said straight up what this match is. This is. Sting, Barry Windham, Lex Luger versus Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and Tully Blanchard from April 3rd, 1988. And to your point, yes, all three members of the good guy team were at one point in time members of the Four Horsemen. Yes, and I guess I kind of got excited about that because I'm because up to this match, wasn't it just Luger that was in the Horseman, or Luger and Windham in the Horseman at this time? Sure, so... Do, we can talk about some of the history around this. Yeah, do you want yeah. to do that now, or do you want to yeah, do that Yeah, we might as well do it a little bit now, yeah. Okay, so Luger had been in the Horsemen in uh, 87, right? And so he got kicked out of there because he started questioning some of the, the Horsemen's antics there towards the end of the year. And uh, so, like, January 88, he's out of the Horsemen. And then Luger and Barry Windham started teaming up as tag team as a tag team you know around this time and then actually just like a couple weeks before this beat Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson at the first clash of the champions uh, I think it's March 27th 1988 it was yeah. the same day as WrestleMania 4 which so that match was a part of clash of the champions 1 which was the very first old episode of the old school wrestling podcast 7 years ago um, and so they beat Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson for the tag team belts just a couple weeks before this match here. And then um, after this match, Wyndham would turn on Luger. Like, not after this, a couple weeks later. Well, because I think the you know, YouTube search with the with the match, I noticed during the match that I think one of the top hits was Wyndham's shield turn. It looked like it was about, about a few weeks after this match. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty rapid here. So Luger's out in January. Luger teams teams up with Wyndham, wins the belts, and then shortly after that, Wyndham would turn on Luger. And that I, I can't remember the like the details of the turn, but I remember it was pretty cool. Like I remember it coming out of nowhere and being shocked because everyone loves Barry Wyndham and Lex Luger. They were a great tag team, like two young studs. You know, they were tag champs on top of the world and uh you know just sort of out of nowhere so um yeah and then Wyndham and 
would go on and be a horseman with the horsemen for a little while until like Tully and Arn would leave for the WWF, in, you know, in the fall, I think, something like that. Okay, yeah. Then Steena was a horseman. Was it like ninety ninety one ish? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because I, but well, because yeah, you you mentioned that you're a big NWA WCW fan, and that kind of boggles my mind since yeah, we don't live that far from one another. I live in mid central Minnesota. Sure. You live in the Chicago area. Yeah, and to me, I grew up probably uh, my earliest memories of wrestling probably would be ninety four ninety five when. Hogan first jumped to WCW, and I felt like in Minnesota, at least where I grew up at, it was mm-hmm. a big WWF haven. We loved WWF up to like whenever Nitro came to Minneapolis to the Target Center, yeah, and all that. I was kind of curious about what what kind of TV stuff you guys you guys got when you and Dre were growing up. I watched well, TBS WTBS was. Is, is a superstation, so it was nationally syndicated. So we got Turner's network actually on basic cable. We didn't even need like a cable box. Like, you know, just plug in the, the coax cable on my TV and I would get Channel 11, which was WTBS. And so I would watch NWA Saturday night on TBS. You know, from eighty like late eighty six through you know like ninety ninety one when I was heavily watching uh, wrestling at that time, and then you know WWF was on as well. But you know, I spent you know I, I fell in love with NWA wrestling and w, much more than WWF. Just from I don't know if it was more realistic or I think I thought the characters were more compelling. I also read I was heavily into like the. The wrestling magazines, which WWF was not like WWF wouldn't let those magazines like cover them as well because like they had their own magazines and they didn't want to give them access to stuff. So those magazines heavily favored uh, NWA and stuff like AWA and the the non WWF stuff. Well, because I know NWA right around this time seemed more like you kind of mentioned more real compared yeah. to the cartoonish WWF. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it necessarily turned me off that it was like cartoonish, but like I really got into the Road Warriors, Dusty Rhodes, Sting, Barry Windham. I hated the Horsemen, you know. In, re- in retrospect, I hated them because they were good at what they did. Right? They were, you know, effective in their roles, and you know, the good guys weren't necessarily the best wrestlers, but they were still, you know, they were also good in their roles. And I just fell in love with what was on every Saturday night from 5.05 to 7.05, you know. Then you, uh, we kind of mentioned a little bit about the WWF, and I, you sent me the video, the link to this video for this match. I also, in turn, sent you a music video to watch. Oh, yeah, Hulk Hogan and Green Jelly. I am the leader of the gang. That was a great video I've never seen before. You know, yeah, because like I was telling you off air that I was listening to another podcast uh, reviewing uh, Thunder in Paradise, the movie, and... They're, they mentioned this song, Leader of the Game with Hulk Hogan. And oh, yeah. It was, I guess, their number one hit over in, I think, Europe. I can't remember exactly what countries. Oh, really? That's yeah, funny. Well, yeah, well, the original song was, I guess, when Hogan did the cover of this song. It also came popular on, on the radio and all that. It, yeah. and it made me laugh. And I guess <laughs> to kind of get your thoughts on the, the song, there's a line during the... During the video, I want to get your thoughts on. Okay. 
Well, mostly I remember like one like him just singing like Green Jelly singing, "Come on, come on, come on, come on." That was most of it. So Hogan mentioned the, the I guess the middle of the song. I am the man who put the bane in gain. <laughs> what does that mean? I, I am the man who put the the what in the, the ba- what the, the bane the b a n g in the g a n g the bane in the gain. Uh, I don't know if I want to touch that one. Because <laughs> I've, I've been listening to Sean <laughs> off and on the last few days, and each time I hear that song in the middle of the, that line during the song, it throws uh, me off like I don't even know what this means. That's the bang and gang. Yeah, that uh, sounds a little <laughs> uh, ex- explicit to me. I'm not sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, well, yeah, that's funny. No, I, I, <laughs> yeah, this video, this, is, this was like, you know, Hogan – Finished out his time in WWF, right? And yeah. he was like looking for some work, probably you know, a little extra cash on the side, and somehow got hooked up with Green Jelly and shot this this, this great video. It it definitely made my day. I did go on Amazon last night, and sadly enough, I was not able to find this single anywhere. Oh, really? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> did you look on eBay? I'm sure you nope. can find. Like... I'd have to look on eBay. I'm sure it's probably up there somewhere. Yeah. Wow. And you, you definitely need to add that to, to your collection. Yes, definitely with my pile driver album and all that. Oh, so do you do you own the cassette tape of that, or the, do you the, own the, the vinyl? The re the re release of the vinyl. Oh wow! You At, after you wow. and Dre reviewed that on the old school wrestling podcast, I <laughs> went out and went out and bought the pile driver the wrestling album. Both okay. on on vinyl. Now, do you have a record player to play it on? Yes, I also <laughs> bought a record player to <laughs> go along to, with it. You just, just to play that nice. Well, I also did buy a album of Fozzie too on on vinyl, just okay. just because to tie it in with wrestling. Sure, there you go. There's I, I've I've gone I've gone out of my way to find other wrestling uh, records. I haven't had a lot of success. I did find from the first. I think it's the first. Maybe it's the second one. There's a. Hillbilly Jim song, and there was a single that they released, you know, a 45, and I found that at a record store in Texas. And then when we went to Texas for WrestleMania 32, I, I really, really wanted to find the some of the old Von Erich records that they released, you know, at the height of like the Von Erichs in the in the like early mid mid 80s. They 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 released a couple records and uh, with in collaboration with some I don't know like gospel singer or something like that and I was really hoping this giant record store would would have some but I was sadly unsuccessful in that mission. When you mentioned the hillbilly forty five, are you talking about the song "Don't Go Mess with a Country Boy" or the song "Waking Up Alone"? Uh, I think it's Don't Go Messing With a Country Boy. I Darn. think that's the single. I was hoping it would be Waking Up Alone. No, sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have another question tied in with the, the match for tonight. Okay. NWA main event. Yeah. I did look a little bit online, and the Wikipedia page I found really didn't give me too much information. And I'm like, okay, instead of reading Wikipedia, I wanted to talk to you instead and get get your memories of Main event. Uh, yeah, so, you know, we had the Saturday night show forever. Like, it goes back a long time. And that was NWA wrestling for me. And then, like, in 88, I guess, 
probably they wanted to have extra, you know, just, just another show. And I, I think the original intent was to have like better caliber matches with high, like better stars. Because like on on Saturday night, it was usually you had the stars, but they were going against some no name scrub. And so Saturday or Sunday night main event was, I think, mostly taped in like the arenas with like stars versus stars. And I believe that this match comes from the very first NWA main event um, that they had in 1988. So this, I think, was the very first one. Okay, I guess that makes sense. That Saturday night was more like you said. Main event star against a jobber, and main event would be kind of like you said, main eventers going going at it for an hour or whatnot. And yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I I also did some research. Black Hat. What's that? I I did some pop culture research. <laughs> okay, what you find? And I, I found that number one pop song the, the day before on April second uh-huh. was the song called "Man in the Mirror" by Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the number one pop song the following week on April 9th was Get Out of My Dreams and Get Into My Car by Billy Ocean. <laughs> I'm sure you remember these songs extremely well, right? Yes. I remember in my crib yeah. as a as a dirty puppy shaking, uh-huh. gaining and banging in my crib, yeah. shaking, shaking the... Shaking the cage to these songs. <laughs> nice. Uh, I was a young young man at this time, so you know, not in the crib, but you know, I I, I do remember Billy, uh, Billy Idol, or Billy Ocean, or whatever, you know, Michael Jackson, all that stuff. Yeah, and definitely, this was the beginning of like when I started to uh, you know become tapped into pop culture. You know, you know, you're ten or eleven or whatever, you're really starting to pick up on that stuff. And also. Ronald Reagan was the president of the United States. Do you care to comment anything about Ronald Reagan? Uh, let's, let's stick to the wrestling here, buddy. For, oh, I guess just with Donald Trump running these days. Sure. Yeah, I'm just going to stand back and not yeah. comment anymore. Yeah, sure, sure. So let's get into the, get into the match. Okay. Oh, something that I found very, very interesting was at the start, the start of the match, the start of the clip, Jim Ross was playing the ring announcer. Yeah, he used to do that like back in the in the EWF and Mid South and stuff like that. And yeah, he did that for the NWA as well. Okay, because I I guess I'm not used to that with my WWF clips. I'm so used to watching, but you know, I'm not used to one of the play by play color commentator guys also playing as arena announcer. Yeah, yeah, you're you're used to like what like Lillian Garcia and uh, Howard Howard Finkel. Uh, the, the Fink. Yes, the Fink. So I I did also note that the crowd seems pretty hot for this main event. Oh uh, well, yeah. I mean, we're probably like somewhere in like North Carolina or Virginia or whatever, and you got you know the the, the three top cute baby faces versus you know even the horsemen like they were over, they were popular. Like the guys love the horsemen. Like the 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 grown men who were there, they they were out there rooting for Flair. They were rooting for Tully and Arn. So both both sides were, you know, this is your six six of your most popular people, you know. And, and like if WWF came to wherever they were, I would 
I would say that these guys would be more popular than, like, let's say, if Hulk Hogan wrestled in the same arena that night. Fair, fair based enough. on geography. Fair enough. Cause I, yeah, because I did do some research. I think it was Macho Man as a WWF champion. I think, yeah, Honky Tonk as an Intercontinental champion. I think Demolition was tag team champions right around that time, but yep. I know you don't want to talk about those guys, those yeah. monkeys. Yeah. So was it me, or did it seem like this match happen? I don't know, in like an office somewhere with how low the ceiling was and looked like the stereotypical uh, office ceiling. I'm guessing it was like an armory somewhere, okay. like a, like a you know a VA hall or something like that. I don't know where it was, but yeah, it definitely it was not a, 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 a like basketball arena. No. Okay, I was gonna ask about that. That like I said, I'm more used to the WWF. Or you know, competing in arenas was NWA known for competing in armories and all that. They would, they would, they would put on shows at big, uh, you know, bigger arenas in the in the down in the south. But then they would also do stuff like this. And, you know, you could probably sit two, three thousand people at these shows. You okay. know, it was not you know a few hundred or anything like that. So yeah, I mean, they would do they would do shows at you know places like this as well so like more or less they're more or less like their weekly shows yeah something like that and they and they were touring these cities on a regular basis right okay yeah. they were you know not maybe not maybe weekly but you know maybe once a month or whatever they would come back through town and before the bell rang a i got a good chuckle out of seeing rick flair walking over and started to put a finger in barry windham's face and barry just slapping it out of his yeah. face and all that yeah they i mean barry uh, barry windham and rick flair you know, from like in back, even going back to like '86 and then '87, had some amazing matches, just one on one. Like Barry Windham versus Ric Flair in '87 is some of the best wrestling you'll ever see. And uh, one thing you, you you want to keep an eye out for is WWE is putting out like a collection of matches that were like you know supposedly lost or whatever and i think it's coming out tomorrow on uh you know the day after labor day one of the matches they're listing on there is a match between barry windham and rick flair which i i'm not sure if it's the one i actually have on a uh, like a dvd that was a vhs transfer but it was like a one hour match that took up the whole episode of like a weekly syndicated nwa show and it's one of the best matches you'll ever watch. Yeah, in your life. I remember you uh, putting that, throwing that out on Twitter, and yeah. seeing you interact with a few people about that match got me excited to go uh, out and go out and make time to watch that match. If it is a match you guys are thinking about, and even uh, if it's not, it's you know Barry Windham versus Ric Flair is always an amazing match. Because I think, if I remember correctly, one, one of the three disc sets that WWE put out of Ric Flair. I want to say mid two thousand somewhere with like the right the white cover and all that. I think they did put a Barry Windham Ric Flair match on, uh, you know, in that DVD set. And okay. Set and what I can remember, this would be probably ten years ago. And now that I yeah. last watched it, I it blew my it blew my mind away. Yeah, ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember which one that was, but yeah, whatever this is, I'm 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 excited to see. So. Um, and there's a bunch of other stuff they're putting out there that'll be great to see as well. Yeah, and to me, this this match was very hot. Uh, it seemed like each team kind of went back and forth on who had control and who hadn't. 
had control and all that. And so like both teams did a lot of quick tags. Yeah. So, you know, this match, you start out with, you know, right. the, 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 the good guys sort of taking control and then it's sort of this back and forth dynamic between the two sides, right? Yeah. And before we really get into more, we did get a pre-tape clip of J.J. Dillon. Yeah, what was, he, what was he talking about? He said that he was a conscience of the NWA. It will make sure Dusty Rhodes gets banned from the National Wrestling Alliance. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I think he actually kind of did later that year when uh, he, he, he sort of got himself banned from the NWA when he had that whole story with the Road Warriors ripping his eye out. Like, So that was like his idea, and then they asked him to leave after that. So <laughs> he sort of got himself kicked out of the NWA. Yeah, well, I guess just that pre-tape and all that got me excited and all that to kind of help to also tie in the Horseman storyline in with Dusty Rhodes. Yeah. So at this time there were only three horsemen. Like I was like I because Luger was out and Wyndham wasn't in. So at this point it was I think just Ric Flair, Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson, and JJ Dillon. So there were only three horsemen at this time for this like two month period. Okay. Yeah. Because I to me I felt like you know these. Well, I guess it seemed like for a while that like you said Tully. Arn and Flair were approached the cornerstone of the Horsemen until uh, Tully and Arn went to the WWF. Yeah, I mean, those were the constants from the original form uh, in 86 to when uh, T- Tully and Arn left in 88. And then to me, honestly, after that, like, it was never, it never had the same feel to me, like, in various incarnations, like, after 88, like... You know, it just was never the same. Then, I guess, uh, you know, what me, the four, the four horsemen I think about would be from like 96 with with uh, Flair, Mongo, Benoit, and Malenko. What do you uh, pale as uh, pales in comparison to me? Like, they were never, they even during the NWO years, they, they were. They, I mean, well, they they were treated as a joke as well. Like, okay, you know, yeah. like with it, they were booked in such a way to always be a lesser force compared to the NWO. Like it was sort of a shame, you know, you know, yeah, compared to what they used to be the height of their, their, their reign in the eighties. Well, I guess you just answered the question I had. I was going to ask you about that. And do I just think it's because the NWO and WCW was more concerned about building up the NWO at that time than the horsemen? Probably, and that's probably a nice way of putting it. You know, there was so many egos at that time in the late 90s that, you know, the, the, the cynical part of me thinks, like, some of these guys you know, that came in, like Nash and Hall and Hogan, wanted to, in some ways, marginalize the horsemen and, you know, sort of, you know, make them put, you know, make them a joke and 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 sort of humiliate them, you know, and, and at, at the expense of the NWO. Fair enough. Then to kind of tie it back to the match, uh, there was a spot that I was surprised to see was uh, Steen, the, Steen hit a flying head scissors to Tully Blanchard. Oh, yeah, he used to do that all the time, like back in, like, 87, 88. Like, he, you know, he had his amazing vertical, like... I was never a huge Sting fan after like 91, but before that, like he, 
the reason why I liked him was because he was like a high flyer for that time. Like not anything compared to what you would see now in a high flyer, but he would do f- crazy stuff like, you know, that massive leap and do that cool head scissor thing that he did in this match. Well, yeah, because I was surprised to see that. I don't, I guess, like I said, I, I'm more, I know Steve more of like the, from the mid 90s WCW onwards. And yeah. I don't think I ever saw Stan do a flying head scissors before. Yeah, I mean, if you watch it, you know enough stuff at this time, you'd probably see him do it quite quite often. Have you? Did you ever watch the match with him and Flair, the Clash yes. of the Champions? Yeah, and that was, I don't know if he did that. Yeah, uh, I don't recall match. that either. I think it's been a year, year and a half since I last watched the uh-huh. first Clash of Champions. So I, yeah, so it's been out of my mind for too long. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, I mean, he he would fly around at that time like the 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 big you know stinger splash or whatever like he would get some air you know when he hit that and fly over the robes and stuff like that yeah he was pretty he was he was really exciting to watch at that time and uh, another spot that made me pop and jump to my feet was seeing Arn Anderson hit the DDT out of nowhere oh yeah his DDT was great yeah he hit that like you know in the middle of the match at some point I think and to me, that, I guess, kind of made me think a lot about WWE trying to put over Randy Orton's LKL out of nowhere. And uh-huh. I feel like in this match, uh, Art Anderson hit the DDT out of nowhere a million times better than I feel like Orton could ever hit the <laughs> RKL out of nowhere. It seems a little more realistic when Art Anderson hits the DDT. Like, the, uh, the RKO seems a little, uh, you know, doesn't seem, it seems kind of unrealistic when he does it. And I also want to ask you, Black Cat, because I feel like your opinion would be a lot, or you'd be a better judge to, you'd be a better judge than I would be. Okay. Who hit a better DDT? Was there anybody who hit a better DDT than Arn Anderson? I would put him above, like, Jake Jake Roberts, who I think many people would claim or state that has the best DDT. Like, I would put Arn Anderson's DDT above Jake Roberts. What about Raven? Uh, yeah, no. Raven was kind of sloppy. Fair like, enough. Yeah, I would put Arn Anderson above Raven. Well, because I've seen a few gifts on Twitter over the last year or two of Arn Anderson, hit, Arn Anderson hitting this DDT out of nowhere and all that, and yeah, just I seen stuff like that, which, like you said, that DDT makes sense when he hit it. That I I can't think of anybody who could hit the DDT any better than Arn Anderson. No, no, he was great at it. Very crisp. Uh, you know, sudden, like you said, out of nowhere, a great DDT. I feel like another uh, spot in this match where Otter Anderson was great at was when he, when he was trying to pin Lux Luger. Uh-huh. And Lux Luger kicked out, and, and it seemed like they were doing like a, what, a Roman knuckle lock or whatnot, and Luger yeah. was trying to, was about to, you know, get up off the mat, and how Otter Anderson sold it facially. Yeah. I felt like, felt like that was gold. Yeah, yeah, like, well, the... The way that the, the the flow of this match went was great. Like, you know, the the good guys had their time, and then, you know, ultimately the way all these matches with the Horsemen went was the ultimately the Horsemen would take control of the the match, like you know, two thirds the way through, and then just beat down whether it was Sting or Barry Windham or Dusty Rhodes, and just you know infuriate the crowd with their dirty tactics and. Uh, you know, they're cheating or maybe J.J. Dillon would, you know, whack somebody with a shoe or, um, 
you know, they would choke somebody on the bottom rope or something like that. And, um, then the, the, the sort of the, the end of the match would come when the good guys would, you know, eventually start fighting back, um, until they would either win or the good guys would win or the bad guys would find some cheap way at the end to like sneak in a win. So we might as well talk about the finish of the match then. Sure. Um, like you said, that said that said that the Barry Wyndham was uh, House of Fire was able to fight off all three horsemen. Then when what was it? Uh, Bully, uh, not Bully. Barry Wyndham was going up. Was going to hit Tully Blanchard with an atomic drop, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was like an atomic. Like he had him real high up, and it was either going to be an atomic drop or like uh, some sort of like back suplex or something yeah, like that. Then we see. A uh, uh, foreign object being thrown into the ring. I assume a pair of brass knuckles. Sure. And Tully grabbed it and hit uh, Barry's window, Barry's forehead, uh, several times with it before hmm. Barry, Barry went down. Yeah, and he just, you know, dropped like you know, just like a rock, just hit you know, hit the mat. And so, like, even if you're sitting in the top row, like you know that he didn't just get punched. He got whacked with some for an object because he, he was just a dead weight like he collapsed onto the min- onto the mat in the middle of the ring and Tully Blanchard sort of falls on top of him right yeah and I think I totally uh, fell and put it into his t- whatever into his tights and yeah just barely draped an arm over Barry for the three count yeah for the one two three which I I very in- well enjoyed this match Black Hat yeah so I mean th- these type of matches were great because like you know, they would have, you know, whether it was a six-man or a tag team or one-on-one with these different characters, and they would go, you know, from house show to house show or, you know, arena to arena, and they would find creative ways to to do these matches, you know, in different forms with, like, now I feel like this match would end in, like, a double countout or... Uh, disqualification and sometimes they would do that but then this match was great because they were able to have a pin without necessarily making Barry Wyndham look bad you know uh, Tully Blanchard like the horsemen still got up got one up on the good guys and got a lot you know the crowd the, 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 the girls and the young kids were really mad that the horsemen cheated you know to beat you know beat the good guys here and I guess I also want to ask you in this match, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, and Ric Flair amazed me more than what I expected with their techni- technical ability. Do you feel like uh, this time frame was like their peak of their careers? Oh, geez. It was definitely great. Like, everybody worked hard at this time in the NWA. Like, it was, you know, I I can't, you know, uh, uh, the Horsemen and all these guys, like Barry Windham, like if you put Arn Anderson in a match, even versus like some enhancement guy, like he worked his butt off. Like it, he was always working hard, right? Like, wow. and he, yeah, yeah. So I would say Flair, uh, Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson, all these guys, you know, anytime they were in the ring, awesome match. I even felt like Stain Luger and Windham. Held the, you know, like you mentioned too, held their end of the match too perfectly. Sure. Well, I would say Barry Windham to me well, yeah. for like eighty seven, eighty eight, possibly the best wrestler out of this whole group. Like okay. above Flair, above um 
uh, Arn Anderson, all these guys like Barry Windham, 87, 88, amazing, amazing wrestler. Well, you, since we're talking about Barry Windham, do you feel like he never got the main event uh, push, the main event run that he deserves? No, yeah, I don't. You know, he never got that big run with the title, the NWA title, WCW, you know. Yeah, so no, I don't. I And I don't know what happened. I'm thinking maybe he got injured or, or something. I don't know what happened, but he never really got that opportunity. Probably because, like, Luger and Sting were, like, the two top guys, and that's who they were, like, NWA, WCW was focused on. So maybe he sort of was the number three guy, and, you know, he never got the, the, the shot because those two, two young guys came in. Uh, since we mentioned Hogan earlier in the podcast, and since Hogan was leaving the WWF in 93, instead of Luger, do you think Barry Woodham could have been the top babyface for Vince up in New York? Hmm, I don't know. Like, I don't know if he had the look that Vince would want, you know, especially at that time. Like, he just, he, you know, he was tall and lanky, but he just didn't have that body that I think that Vince would want. And... Talk about, you know, I guess the body that Vince wants, Lex Luger. I felt like he, you <laughs> yeah. know, he's, I guess, you know, gets bashed a lot by, I feel like a lot of people nowadays on the internet. And I feel like in this match, he, I didn't feel like he sucked in this match. <laughs> well, a couple things. One, this was probably the height of his career, like as far as how hard he worked, right? So 88, I would say was the best he ever performed. The other thing you have to consider is he has four or five of the best wrestlers in this match to help him have a great match. So he that's definitely a contributing factor to his success in this match. Fair, Yeah, fair enough. But, yeah, because, well, I guess, yeah, later in his career, Lux Luger, like you said, really didn't put the, the work into it like he should have. And, like, what a lot of the pushes he was given, he didn't work for it. And... Yeah, yeah, it didn't work out so well for him. Yeah, I just, I guess I, when I saw Lux Luger was also in this match, I was expecting his part of the match to, to I guess, to be the shots in a way. <laughs> no, you know, in 88, he did okay. He was doing okay at the time. And I know you mentioned, too, that I was surprised to see Luger and Wendem as tag team champions. Yeah, they were a hot team for there for a few months. It didn't last very long, but, I, you know, at the time, I remember thinking they were awesome you know do you remember who they won the tag team titles from well, they beat tully and arn at the oh, yeah, that's right you, that's right you mentioned yeah. that yeah i guess yeah when at the beginning of the clip hall when jim ross mentioned that luger and Wyndham were tag team champions that boggled my mind because i never remembered or ever expected to see those two holding the tag straps together i assumed it would have been luger and steen as tag team champions no I, they did win i think i think those two guys won the Jim Crockett Memorial Cup, the tag team tournament thing. And uh, before we get off the podcast, since Dusty Rhodes was mentioned earlier, what's it, do you have any uh, thoughts you'd like to talk about, about Dusty Rhodes during this time frame too? Oh, let's see here. Early 88, what was he doing? I'm thinking, I'm drawing a blank on what he was doing because I don't think he was on... He, I can't remember what he was doing at this time because I don't think he was on the first class of champions, if I remember correctly. No, but he would come back in the summer. But like, you know, in '87, it was him and the Horsemen because he he wrestled Luger at Starcade '87, um, and then 
Like he would have the big feud in the fall, so maybe he's just booking at this time. I, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, what was the storyline of when the horseman followed Dusty and broke his leg? When did when did that happen? That goes back to like '86. Okay, That's, so a couple years before this, then. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So like the height of Flair, Dusty goes back, you know, to '85, '86, and it sort of ties into the origin of the Horseman. Um, the the Horseman ch- chasing Dusty around, you know, taking him out and stuff like that. Fair enough. Yeah, because I just wanted to kind of, you know, I wanted to know where Dusty was at during this time too. Because, like I said, we talked about Dusty a little bit. JJ Dillon brought up brought up uh, Dusty Rhodes as well. Yeah, I'm sure he was doing something at the time. I don't remember why, but I, I he was on the second Clash of the Champions, the one in Miami. He, he was doing something. He was definitely on that show. Um, I'm gonna have to look that up. Like. Early '88. What was he doing? I don't remember. Well, he wasn't in polka dots quite yet. No, that would be <laughs> that would be the year after that. That'd be the year after that. Think of it. Talk about dusting in his polka dots by chance. Have you listened to Bruce Pritchard's new podcast? Oh, he has a podcast now. Yeah, and I guess oh, I mentioned geez. that because okay. Bruce Pritchard talked about for his first podcast. I think. About a month or so ago, about Dusty Rhodes up in the WWF, and uh-huh. I, I can I can find the link. I can send that to you off air. So, too. what did Bruce Pritchard have to say about the polka dots? Uh, well, his co-host is Conrad Thompson, the same guy that co-hosts Ric Flair's podcast. Yeah. And so, is that on MLW or whatever? Yes, it is. Okay. Okay. And Conrad wanted to ask if it was a rib, but putting Dusty in polka dots, and what Bruce mentioned that. Bruce and Vince, or yeah, Vince flew down to Florida and filmed a couple of the early vignettes with Dusty down in, yeah, down in Florida. And Dusty seemed pretty, pretty excited to come up to the WWF, and the polka dots was not a rib. Huh, okay. But it's, I don't know, well, I guess... I'm the, not sure if I'd buy it or not. But. Yeah, I, to me it's kind of hard to buy it too, since it seemed like Bruce is... A defender of the WWF, yeah. Throughout the few podcasts I've listened to of his, but I'll send I'll send you the link yeah. off air and get your thoughts down the road. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, that's that sounds. I I just listened to Flair on MLW because he 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 had taken a break from podcasting, right? Yeah, because he was on or he was with CBS for a while. Then I think they had some kind of contract dispute or something like yeah. that. Then took the summer off and. I think uh, Flair started back up with MLW. I think right around Fourth of July, if I remember correctly. Yeah, we got you and I. We got to find that that big podcast money. Those guys are good. I, I swear it's over at MLW Radio. <laughs> okay, maybe we oh. should you know t- uh, get hold of Court Bauer and all that. Oh yeah, I'm sure they would. <laughs> I don't know if I would hang out with those guys or not. But, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's either that or Podcast One. Yeah, yeah, or get a, get some Amazon banner links going. I'm sure Steve Austin can help us out with that. Yeah, <laughs> I'd like to get a tutorial from Steve on how to set that up. <laughs> so I might as well let, let you uh, throw some plugs in for your podcast and Twitter and all that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I host. I co-host the Old School Wrestling Podcast with uh, my my buddy Dre. We've been doing it for. Almost seven years now, I think, since 2009, and 
been doing that. It's over at uh, flarechop.com, uh, or you can find me at, on Twitter at flarechops. It's my Twitter handle. And uh, yeah, just check out the podcast. You can find me on Twitter, all that stuff. And the seventh year anniversary falls on Mama D's birthday. Oh, yeah. What, what, what day is that? October 2nd. Oh, yeah. I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about that too last night, you know, getting the outline together and watching the match that. To me, doesn't because I think I know I start got into the podcast or listen to you guys. I think right around episode a little before episode fifty. Okay, and yeah, because my normal co-host Beverly Hills is the one that got me into listening to you guys, and yeah. he's like, "Oh yeah, you know you should listen to the old school wrestling podcast. These two guys are great. You should listen to it." And I, I think I for episode fifty was the Monday Night War last Nitro episode. Uh, I think you're right, yeah. 75, I think you guys reviewed Beyond the Map. And then 100, we did... The, the uh, Montreal Screwjob. Yeah. And I remember what I was, what exactly I was doing at work when I listened <laughs> to the 75th episode and the 100th episode. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I was, while I was working what they call routes, sure. I, was, I, was in, I was responsible for about 10 or so routes to take out boxes for my zip codes and all that while I was, I was at work. So you guys, you and Dre definitely helped me out a lot <laughs> at work to pass, awesome. to pass 11 hour day, 11 hour shifts at work. That's great. That makes me happy to hear. Yeah. It's yeah. The show is just me and my old, you know, my old, old friend of mine just hanging out talking wrestling. So it's always nice to hear that other people enjoy it. Yeah. We kind of mentioned it. Do you guys, do you guys ever think that you guys would, Still be doing the podcast seven years later? Ah, oh, jeez, no, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> no, seven years ago, if we, because I don't think I've been committed to many things that long besides like uh, my marriage and uh, <laughs> my being a parent. Like I think this is that's the longest I've been uh, uh, committed to anything in my life. <laughs> Which I'm happy that you know the three things you're committed to all. Revolve our own relationships with others. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure those are probably three good things to be committed to. Yeah, you guys can find me over on Twitter as well at Dirty Dog MES. That's dog as in D A W G, Dirty Dog MES. And also at, at, at our website, MidEventStatus.com. And for the Black Cat on the Dirty Dog Darcy, we catch you guys later, MidEventers. Do you want to be in my game? My game? My game? Wanna be in my game? Oh yeah! Do you wanna be in my game? My game? My game? Wanna be in my game? I'm the leader of the gang. I am. But there's no one like the man I am. I am the kite. Every single night. Now to the 